Mark Noble is West Ham through and through, a true hammer forged in Canning Town. But in this big interview, you'll discover that his views on football and his own responsibilities in the game resonate far beyond the boundaries of East London. Mark's composed when put on the spot about his penalty prowess, which is hardly surprising for a player who scored two in an epic 13-12 shootout defeat by the Netherlands in the semi-finals of the Under-21 European Championships. That was in 2007, and Mr Noble relives it here. Painful but fun. He's now established as a Premier League player of excellence and captain of the club he supported since he was a kid. Mark talks about what that role really means to him and the tactics that he employs to ensure that his teammates are at their best at training and on the pitch. You'll like that bit. When it comes to explaining how to inspire footballers, Noble hits the nail on the head. A typical hammer, really? Really? Enjoy Mark Noble on the big interview. I did. This guy's a geezer and a diamond one at that. And finally, we're recording another big interview live on Thursday, March 9th, at the Concert Hall in Glasgow, with very special guest, Alex McLeish. Alex will reflect on his decorated playing and management career, Aberdeen, how his football manager-obsessed son alerted him to the talents of a teenage Leo Messi before the world knew of that man's genius, and how he'd later inquire about bringing Messi to Rangers on loan, only to be informed by Frank Reichard's assistant to try and secure a deal for some Andres Iniesta kid instead. Sir Alex Ferguson, Scooby's first manager at Aberdeen, will pop up in stories and there'll be an audience Q&A. To buy tickets, go to iWrite.com, that's A-Y-E-W-R-I-T-E.com, and search for Graham Hunter. The link is also on a pinned tweet at GH Podcast on Twitter. See you there. It's going to be good. As anybody who's listened to the big interview will know... And you probably know, Mark. Um, this series is meant to um, entertain those of us who take part in it and the listeners. And I will ever speak to people that I admire. Thank you. As a footballer, Mark Noble, um, West Ham legend, captain, all-round good guy. It's fabulous from my perspective watching how you play, what you think a football is for. Also, um, as somebody who grew up watching uh, one-club legends like Alec McLeish and Willie Miller... I hugely respect uh, your love and dedication to your club, West Ham. However, I'm going to start with trivia. Okay. Wednesday the 20th of June 2007 was the location for the longest penalty shootout in UEFA history. Your starter for 10, Mr Noble, is which two teams took part in that shootout? Uh, England v Holland. Yes, that's right for one point. <laughs> of the 25 penalties scored... Was that how many? It was 25. Wow. <laughs> how many did you score? Uh, two. Yes? Right again. Yeah. OK, we're now going to move on to the... Now you're going to ask me whether I cried after, aren't you? Now into the picture round. Now, I think it gives me an excuse. I've seen you um, taking penalties. I've seen people asking you about penalties. And you very often give a quite non-committal... Um, Reply. What fascinates us, and we've talked to Gaiska Mendieta, who was just a robot about scoring penalties at the top level, mm. Champions League final included. And we also talked to um, other players who found it easy. Matt Letizia said, 
was the easiest chance all game I was ever going to get yeah. to score. Felt no nerves. Only missed once. Do you remember the build-up in that tournament in 2007, which is the European Championship for under-21s, and you're there with an England team that's full of good players and it's coached by Stuart Pearce. Stuart made you all practice quite a lot, didn't he? Yeah. Penalties. Take us back to that, the, the build-up. To be honest, Graham, it was, it, was, it was a mad, mad year for me because we played for West Ham. Everyone kept saying to me, you keep playing like this, you're going to get in that 21s Euro squad. And I was, do you know, you look at someone like they're mad. Mm. Yeah, and I, I got the call one day and it, we had a training camp in Valencia. And I'll never forget, I turned up and uh, I was so nervous because there was a, the players were established mm. Premier League players, not just played a few games. There a lot of players that played a lot of games in the Premier League and um, I was nervous, of course. And I got there, I knew a few of the boys from West Ham, Anton and Rio uh, Coca. And, um, so I went and I'm really honest with you, I... I I laid in my room and I thought, I'm just going to use this as experience. Do you know what I mean? And I, but I, kn I knew deep down in the back of my head, I thought, I know I can handle me. I know I can hold my own. That's mm. for sure because I've been playing in the Premier League this season. But I really, really thought that if I trained well, I might have a chance. And for that four-day training camp, it's, I think it's the best I've ever trained. Gosh. Honestly, it was just like, you know, you, it's like adrenaline that you do things, and even after you do them, you think. Uh, fuck, have I done that? Mm -hmm. What's happened now? Like, I've just uh, played a pass. or um, So you, you leave the training camp and I think you get a letter 10 days later or whatever it is, or the next couple of days, I can't remember the full. Um, and I got the letter and I was, I was in, the, in the squad to go. And I was like, what? Buzzing, couldn't believe it. <sighs> Turned up at the tournament and you're right, uh, Stuart Pearce, after training every day, stood there with a notepad, every single player took mm -hmm. a penalty, and he, and he went, uh, so it'd be like, Mark scored, James Milner scored, uh, Tom Huddleston scored, went down the line, bang, 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 bang. <laughs> Obviously, he's not knowing that in a couple of weeks' time, every single player is going to have to take like penalties. So he's got his top five. Um, I didn't miss one in the training, in, in the training sessions. Um, and it was hard because obviously you're taking against the, the same goalies every every day. Do you know what I mean? So obviously who are Scott Carson at least Joe Hart. Joe, gosh. Yeah, Joe Hart. And obviously you know Joe's character. He's like out bouncing. I don't know what way you're going. And he's not shy. <laughs> no. So I, I, I didn't miss. Um, a few of us. I don't, I don't think James Milner missed. Um, so yeah, we uh, it come to the stage. And the worst thing for me was I got booked in that game, so I was going to miss the final anyway. Um, and I remember after the, the final whistle, uh, Stuart Pearce pulled me and I was obviously devastated um, because I was sub, sorry, the first group game I was sub and we didn't play that well. Um, and, he, and, and Stuart didn't tell me anything. We trained, during, trained the next day, the boys had a warm down who played. Uh, we was playing Italy. Um, so I'm <laughs> come down with my soap bag, sitting there in a the team meeting, like thinking, oh, fucking hell, like sub or whatever. Bang, names on the board, I'm playing. Yeah, buzzing. We we drew to all, but we should have won. I, I set up one of... Uh, Kasiragi. Gigi Kasiragi's the coach. And it's, yeah, it's and a team Zola, I think Zola was his assistant, wasn't he? Fairly Shaquille Ine's playing as well. Yeah, there was a few. There was a few Whoa, top, yeah. top players. Yeah, playing. yeah. Um, 
Um, I set up one of the goals and we we uh, we drew to all, played really well. We, then we beat Serbia, I think. Anyway, so yeah, standing there in the queue, and uh, Holland, the game's over. I go up first, or I think it's me or Milner got first. Bang, score! As you know, it keep going, keep going. And then Anton Ferdinand had missed one in the FA Cup final, I think, a couple of weeks or months before, or the year before, something like that. And when you were at Hull, is that right? Yes, I was, uh, I was on loan. You were on loan? No, no, that's a lie. I'd come back, I'd travel with squad. You've back, haven't yes. you? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. really, yeah. I, I actually done that on the way up there, but I said another story. So when I come back, uh, Pards took me to travel with the team, had all the occasion, all that, and Anton missed, obviously. Um, and then... It scored. It, it scored against uh, their goalkeeper. Come back. I remember him going to me. Yes, nose. The FA Cup's out of my head. High five in me. <laughs> it's gone. It's done. And I'm standing there, and obviously everyone scored. Scored goal. Goal. And I looked at him. I went. And we might have to take another one here, you know. And he's like, Nah, no chance. So I mean, going through it. Um, <laughs> I mean, Ashley Young scores. James Milner scores. Ryan Babble for them. Drenta misses. You score, but, you know, we're going to come back to this in a minute. Scott Carson gets up there and takes one and scores. Yeah. Um, on it goes, to the extent that Ashley Young scores again, James Miller scores, Mark Noble scores, Justin Hoyt scores, Matt Derbyshire misses, and then Anton misses. Mm. Daniel De Ritter misses. There's 32 attempts. Unbelievable. 32 attempts. It was unbelievable. It's one of the great experiences ever. Um, uh, and do you know what? The funniest thing is I went on holiday with... She wasn't my wife then, but she is now... Um, after that and I was walking down a strip in Pretaris uh, in Cyprus and it was incredible how many people commented on that game and obviously after it's, it's, it's shown that I was sobbing in bits crying and all that stuff and like I had like it's really weird because obviously I was playing for West Ham at the time but I had like big northerners come up to me and give me a cuddle and <laughs> saying how lucky lad like do you know what I mean we was all with you so they must have been watching it in the bars out there it was in it was a uh, yeah, it was incredible, incredible couple of months. You you've you've had to, um, it's not something I want to dwell on the fact that I, I think England managers have regularly made a mistake by not valuing your football intelligence, your passing, how you win the ball. But you've had a really really big career at representational level, three finals, certainly a final in um, the under 19s. Yeah, yeah. A final against Germany yeah. in the 21s. Mm -hmm. That was a semi final that we were talking about. Um, what, what if you, one of the things that Stuart Pearce said about that time was that he'd played in senior England teams where nobody knew who the penalty taker was and nobody had practised it. And I want to come back, you lost that one, but, you know, 32 takes, England competed well enough that it's a 13-12 defeat. Yeah. Practising penalties, my perspective, although I hear leading pros saying don't practise them because the atmosphere makes a difference, well, that's rubbish. The more you practice something, the better you get at it. Do you know what I did at first, Graham? I did when I was a little bit younger. I used to, uh, I scored a couple. I think we had we had one at Birmingham years ago, and we got a penalty. And um, uh, we had, I think, Kieran Dyer and Craig Bellamy on the pitch, and um, and no one really, no one knew what a penalty taker was. Uh, no one really, I would get, I'll have it, like. I just thought, as you said, as uh, Letitia said, it's like another chance to score. Do you know what I mean? And so I thought, yeah, I'll take it. Scored, um, and it sort of gave me a buzz, you know, because I'm, I'm, uh, I'd be the first person to say I'm not uh, the greatest open play goal scorer. I, I pr 
probably score three or four a season. Seven last season. Wasn't yeah, it? seven last season, but a few pennies as well. But you still got to score them, as I keep saying to everyone. Um, and and I thought, yeah, and, and and do you know what it was? I really do think this, and I've said this in the press, and I do mean it. I honestly think to myself, there is a lot worse things going on in the world hmm. than taking a penalty. I know you can miss, and a lot of players are scared to miss, but it's never really fussed me. I just thought I could be in Afghanistan, Iraq, getting bullets whizzing past my ass. I've got a chance to score in the Premier League. Do you know what I mean? Why would I not want to take a penalty? And that's how I've always thought. Well, I mean, even on that concept, you think about things. There's a lot of people who I talk to in sport, and this wouldn't be a critical voice, but mm. a lot of footballers who don't think things through. Or if they do, they'll maybe go into a slightly negative spiral about exactly the opposite. Well, what if? Well, you have a shot, you shoulder responsibility. It is a relatively easy thing. And as you say, the world doesn't end if you miss it. Mm. You know, Badger's missed in a World Cup final. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're part Badger, yeah. can put it over know, the bar, then... At the end of the day, you are, you got, I've, I mean, I've, I think I've took about 30, maybe a few more here and there, but oh, law of averages, you are probably going to miss. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You are. But, I'm, and, and obviously the West Ham fans of, with Frank Lampard have always been um, uh, a bit vocal uh, with Frank, but I missed against Chelsea once, and um, after the game, he's the first person, I'll never forget, first person to come up to me, because Frank took a lot of penalties and he missed quite a yeah. few. And he come up to me and he said, Mark, uh, make sure you take the next one and smash it straight down the middle. Do you know what I mean? I thought, from someone who, with, who's done so much in the game, um, West Ham v Chelsea Derby, for someone to come and say that to me was, uh, I'll never forget that. So as you mentioned, Frank, I spent a lot of time in his company, talked to him a lot, I admire him a lot, mm. as a footballer and as a, as a person too. I used to ask him about, um, when he was a senior international, about... So I'm one of these rare breeds of Scots who'd be perfectly pleased to see England finally at least punching their weight in a yeah. tournament, particularly if they play well. I've often asked them about tournament mentality and what it is about, particularly England, but Brits um, coming to a tournament where I don't think that I see the same tournament management by the players, by the staff, attitude, unity, training, what you're there for, luxury versus non-luxury that I saw when you know, I went to, I was lucky the Spain group allowed me in to hotels and travel with them in the mm. dressing room and winning the World Cup. But you get to watch, you get to watch the preparation yeah, yeah, yeah. and the mentality and the attitude. You've played at a lot of tournaments, including beating a very good Spain side, yeah. um, again in under 21 Euros mm. in the finals. Beating a team with Aspilicueta, Monreal, um, Javi Martinez, Raul Garcia, numerous Champions League finalists or winners. What what has been what have you learned about the mentality of a foreign based summer tournament in your experience? How to prepare, what it's like, what we as Brits do and don't do well? Yeah, I I just a lot of it I think is down to Brits as in English players are not the best travellers in Europe. Don't many of them don't go abroad today at all. Yeah. Um, the Premier League's full of different nationalities and uh, they come here and sort of make this up. I always look at it as foreign players here. If, if they come here and it doesn't work out for them, they've got no problem moving back to Spain or Italy or it's, it's done like that for them. Whereas I think an English player is 
a little bit more set in their ways and maybe they have their families or their friends and they, uh, the thought of going to play in Spain or Italy scares them too much. Um, I think the, 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 the Christmas summer breaks a massive part of it, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Um, because the Premier League is... I've played in it for 13 years on and off and you think every single week, if you ain't maxed out, you could get beat. You could get beat. Uh, whether you're a top team, um, you've got a. I say you could get beat, or if you're playing a top team and you ain't maxed out, you could get embarrassed. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you've always got to be on it. And by the time the end of May comes and you finish that Premier League season, all you want to do is go on holiday. And I and I and I say that because you have Christmas, the whole of Christmas, normally in hotels with. Uh, the players, the New Year's and all that stuff. And then, like, look, listen, everyone says um, the biggest argument is, yeah, but you get paid a lot of money to do it. If someone asked me at 17 is, do you want to play for West Ham's first team, but I'll pay you a, a normal wage, I would have snapped their hands Taking off. Taking it for sure. You know what I mean? Of course I would. But it comes with the territory. There's so much money involved in football and players are there to entertain people, so we get paid good money. But I honestly think at the end of that, that Premier League season... Uh, Mentally playing the Premier League now is. I was going to ask that. It isn't massive. just physically, is no, it? It's, 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 do you know what? It's eighty percent mental. Let me tell you, because even we, our bodies are trained to play. I mean, we're, we're trained to play, and we're trained, we're fit, we we train every day, we work hard. So it's the it's the fact of just switching off and being able to, I don't know, just maybe sit there and run along the beach with your kids. I know that sounds really silly, but if you if you don't if you don't have that, which you don't have really, you have we have it six weeks a year and it's it's nice, but then it's full on the whole way through. You do miss it. You so really if I can do. build that theory a little bit, but I didn't we know we'd go down this alley, but it fascinates me because I live in Spain, I've watched the, the winter break be discussed, introduced in Scotland. It's a gigantic winter break in, in Germany. Yeah. Possibly too long, I think. The Spanish one is a little bit flexible. It used to be two full weeks, now it's not. People have always talked about, about resting uh, limbs and sinews and for once maybe playing without pain, which every top-level footballer yeah, yeah, never yeah. plays at 100%, no, ever, ever, ever. No so you've got to be hard. But people don't really talk about that. Maybe those two weeks just let you go, mentally, family-wise, friends, yeah. or a day when you don't have deadlines, or whatever it might be, mm. and that tiny battery charge yeah. psychologically yeah, 100%. rather than physically. Do you know, do you know we always say it here with the boys, it's funny, um, because you, obviously the social media now, do you know what I mean? You look, you're on Instagram or whatever you're on, and uh, for instance, on Christmas Day, we was in a hotel in Swansea, it was freezing cold. You go on Instagram, you see the foreign boys on the beach in the Maldives, and... Yeah. With their families, uh, or at home with their family at Christmas, or but yeah, as you say, and um, and you just and sometimes you do think, God, oh, nice. it would be nice now. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it would do the game good. I think, um, especially for the national team, and and don't forget, we have the top top players in the world. A lot of the top players in the world mm. come and play in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. So, hundred percent sure that. Playing English players, playing with top players, makes them better players. I love watching Spanish football. I watch all, a lot of Spanish football. 
and you watch a Spanish team, what well, you'd probably know the facts better than me, but eighty percent of their team are Spanish players. Yeah. There's, on average, the percentage of Spaniards in a top leading La Liga club is higher than, than it's the be, English. In, it's in got to be a factor it's in huge, it, surely. Huge, huge. I mean, you look at Barca against Madrid, and what fascinates me is that that spell where they were so good—the Euros, the World Cup, Euros—and um, they still try and get each other sent off every time they play each other, and they're fighting. And yeah. and I think, but they're so good together for Spain. That's what I don't. I'm, I'm, you're closer than what I am, but I don't know what it's like. I, but it just seems to me that they've got a mentality where winning is everything. That's why I was tr tr trying to get at your perspective from what you've seen in tournaments and why I asked Frank too, because I do, you do watch them. I didn't know this before I moved over there. It took time to get integrated and to be trusted. But rather than simply being told about it, I went and watched it. Double training, open every day in tournaments. You, you you fly with them. You you live in the hotel, which is trusted. You know, it's it's now not done it. Back in say Harry's day, mm. it, it was. Yeah. So you watch and you listen, you learn, and you see the you see the um, the club divisions. Sometimes they're poison, melting away. One because these people largely have known each other before they're prominent at their clubs. They're, they're taken. A lot of them are taken to the Las Rosas Spanish FA training school aged 15, and they, they explained to me, it's not my perspective, like, for example, when Xavi, who represents everything that you're talking about for Barcelona, and Iker, who represents everything you're talking about for Madrid, and who were leaders, captains in that time when it was the most heated in the classicals, they met each other aged about 14, 15, when neither of them was prominent at their clubs, and they just made friends. Before there was any division about your Madrid and I'm Barcelona, mm. they were just pals, yeah. Fernando Torres and Iniesta, Sergio Ramos and Cesc crossing the divide all the time, but they were taken together at a training school and they just got on and that stuck. And also they do, I watched them, listening to your point about uh, winter break and the psychology of it, I watched them finish their season, get ready for a tournament, the three they won anyway, breathe, take about six days off, go to a pre-tournament training camp and it's like the start of the season for them again. Mm. Their tournaments are like, you're like in August. Here we go. Yeah. We're here to win. Doesn't always go out, but that, those three tournaments were unbelievable. And yeah. I've never thought about the psychology of a break. Mm. I always thought it was a physical thing. Yeah. No, I, I think a lot of football now, um, and a lot of players that don't... A lot of young players that I played with before I got into the first team, in the youth team, were incredible players. But just mentally could not cope with the, the demands of playing... Uh, high-level football, just mentally. Physically, it was incredible. Do you know what mm. I mean? Strong as an ox, could run 100 metres in 11 seconds or whatever it was. Technically really good, but could not f mentally cope with it. Is that discipline or pressure? or? I think a lot of it's pressure, 100%. Um, a lot of it's pressure. Um, and being able to just mentally get your head around... Um, playing in front of so many people and so many people's got an opinion um, about everything now. Mm. I mean, social media, Twitter. Uh, I listened to a really good interview with Alan Pardew before he got the sack at Crystal Palace and he said there's, he called them the social media crew as in just people off the street mm. demanding that he get sacked mm. and people do listen to it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? He's got to go, he's got his this, his that and it, it spreads. 
and that is that is the world we 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 play in now. And uh, if I'm really honest, I love I love now because I've been there. I love seeing young English talent, British talent come through. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, like the young lad at Everton now. Davis is it? Who's Davis has scored the goal that day. Scored the goal. Dink finish. Yeah, I, I've seen him play a few times, and um, I love it because it doesn't seem to happen as much as it used to, for sure. Because the the pressure of a manager's getting a sack, the pressure of the clubs getting points, um, the amount of players that you can buy now on cheap um, from abroad, um, and the boys. I, I look back now, and I think if I was seventeen and at a Premier League club. I had uh, the determination to get into the team, but if I didn't, I don't know if it would have happened, Graham, to be honest, you know what I mean? It's such a, um, it's such a tough place to be able to, to break into now. Are you in favour of quotas? Saying you must, each Premier League team must have six English players or six homebred players or you can only have... Six foreigners, or yeah. some. I, I still think we there's a we, we I think there is sort of, there's got I mean you've got having a squad now of, but you have a look at like Cesc Fabregas is homegrown for us. He classes that. Yeah. Alex Song did. Yeah. Uh, we had Alex Song. He classes that. So, um, they grew up obviously in the in the youth teams at in a, at our clubs. So. And you're talking about something specifically different. Yeah, I, don't, I, I really don't know, obviously. I, yeah, I've, I've, not, I've got, not got the answer to it, but I just think we have really got, like, the likes of, I always, the likes of um, Rio, John Terry, uh, Frank Lampard, mm. um, Paul Scholes, mm. uh, Stephen Gerrard, them sort of players who are top, mm. I'm talking with the likes of Xavi and Iniesta, them, yeah. them players. Elite. Where are they coming from now? I don't, I don't see. I, I don't see how many we've got. Probably um, Deli Ali, who's mm -hmm. could fit that mould maybe at the minute. Without argument. Yeah, with it, fantastic. It's all there. Yeah. As long as he wants it, and you know the luck of injuries with him. Of course. That should be his. Of level. course. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm talking that them players are top 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 players. And you worry that they might that we might be in a period where. We don't see enough of those elite players coming through. Just because I just I, I really think that they might get missed out now because there's so many players that come into our game, as in the English game. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so much pressure on managers um, to win. You have to win. So are you going to play an 18-year-old or are you going to play a player a player that's played 200 games and it's cost you 10 million quid? Mm -hmm. If you're on a manager of a football club, I, don't, I mean, it looks like you're going to play the 26-year-old who you've just paid 10 million for. Kudos to Koeman, who is who's Dutch, not English, but has always believed, as I think Guardiola will go on to show he believes too, that um, age is irrelevant. Ability, attitude, temperament count more than, than age. And I think maybe even foreign coaches might begin to give an antidote to what you're worried about mm. but they I don't think feel the same pressure as maybe um, Pards did at Crystal Palace mm. like my job could go and therefore um, I have to go for the one who'll give me results quickly exactly it's awful sad all, all the not, Spanish well, players well, that you Graham, not, not, not many managers now get a chance to how can I say build a team 
No. No build a team in their own, what they want to do, or um, they lose a game to probably a team they shouldn't lose a game. All of a sudden, they get an email from the chairman, what has gone on, yeah. why, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. like, it's, it's, it's football now because the demand, and there's so much money involved in it, mm. the demand to stay in the Premier League is so big that... I just I love it. I really do love. Obviously, I love seeing young players coming through that get a chance and and take it. Do you know what I mean? I think it's great. Well, I hope this interview adds to the culture and the debate about that because I know that I don't know how much competition this is, but from the time at which Pep Guardiola finished as a football player, he was looking back and saying, "If I was starting now, or if I'd started then at a player other than at a club other than Cruyff's club." I wouldn't have. I'd have been a third division player. That was Guardiola's view on himself. Mm. I know that uh, Fernando Torres, just after they won the World Cup, did an interview with me at Chelsea and said, listen, um, it, us winning youth tournaments for Spain has made it in vogue to trust Spanish players. Previously, if you went and played for the Spanish selections of under 17 or 19 or 21, you came back, your club went, yeah, OK, you've been in the first team about 24, maybe. <laughs> Didn't trust either. Yeah. So there was a cultural change. It hasn't always been paradise in Spain where, like, you're, you're, you're Spanish, you're one of ours, you come from the academy, we trust you. Mm. It wasn't like that, say, about 15 years ago. It just wasn't. No. So culture can change. Yeah. Hopefully what you're saying starts a debate and helps change it. You, you've touched more on a couple of themes that we really, really like. Um, thriving under pressure, taking a challenge, penalties are a little microcosm of accepting the challenge of representing the club that you love and feeling the responsibility and the pressure. Captaincy. What, um, what, what are your thoughts on captaincy? What's it for? Um, well, it's, it's funny you ask that because I was speaking to my dad the other day. I ring my dad every day on the way to training, 930 uh, or nine o'clock, we have a ten-minute chat. I normally bring him on the way home as well, see what he's been up to and stuff. And we talk about football. And the last, obviously, he said, "Mark," he said, "I'm gonna." He said to me, "He said to me about a year ago." He said, "Mark, do you wake up every morning, look at the scene, and think, fucking, I'm a lucky bastard?" <laughs> and I went, "Why do you mean that?" He went, "Because you used to walk in from school with a West Ham backpack." And a West Ham folder with my work in that I got Jeff Hurst to sign outside the stadium right, once, you know. Right. Obviously, we used to walk to the games and from, from my house. And he said, you've just probably captained West Ham through two of the most historical seasons in the club's history. Leaving Upton Park and having what our generation of fans are saying is the best team and year we've ever had for excitement and everything and then leading them into this new stadium which is going to be there way past all of us do you mm -hmm. know what I mean and I, I never really thought of it like that and I just and he said to, for a local boy that grew up supporting West Ham to be able to wear the armband and lead your team out at them games um, and don't he said don't forget you could have got injured and missed them games as everyone gets injured you could have misleading the team out. You could have missed, got suspended, but you was there and you 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 led that team into the out of the old stadium into the new. And, and he said, like, no one will ever take that away from you.
You can probably tell from my excitement that you hear every time you listen to this podcast that the big interview has been a voyage of discovery for everybody involved in it. One of the voices that you've never heard on these interviews is that of Max Fitzgerald, but Max has been a tremendous boon to us, a great discovery. Aside from being um, a good guy, funny, and sporting a marvellous, world-class, in fact, beard, Max, as a communications manager, first for Bournemouth and then for West Ham, practices things that many clubs around Europe could learn from. Just first rate. West Ham, well done for employing him. The big interviews are produced by Backpage and me, Graham Hunter. The music you always hear, the sweet music you always hear, is by Beer Jacket. You can keep up with everything that we do, enter exclusive competitions, and put your questions to our future guests by joining the mailing list at grahamhunter.tv. That's the place where you can also buy the new, updated version of my book, Barca, The Making of the Greatest Team in the World. It's my account of the Pep Guardiola era at the Camp Now from 2008 until 2012, why it happened and how. It is in all good bookshops at the moment, but it does make a huge difference to all of us who worked on the project if you buy direct at grahamhunter.tv forward slash books. You'll then be sure to get the new edition and you'll be helping us to continue producing independent content, free in the instance of the big interview. Thanks to all of you for listening. We need you, we love you, we do this for you. Hope it's fun.